Your story is waiting for you today. Your story has something new to say. But your story will only come out to play when you're alone. Alone. Alone in a room with invisible people. The following episode may contain swearing. Alone in a Room with Invisible People is brought to you by hollyswritingclasses.com. If you find value in what we do and you'd like to support the podcast, go to coffee.com, that's K-O hyphen F-I.com forward slash alone, or you can go to alonewithinvisiblepeople.com forward slash support us to find out more. Thank you. Hi, I'm Rebecca Gallardo, the host of Alone in a Room with Invisible People. I am here today with author and teacher Holly Lyle, and we are going to be discussing character voice. And this is, uh, do you have a definition in there for character voice for folks? Yeah, that's essentially when you are reading the characters and you want to be able to to, to distinguish between characters um, so that they don't all sound the same when the reader reads them. Uh, That is essentially character voice. Okay, so with that definition, let's get into character voice. There are just a couple of points that I kind of want you to, you know, to keep in mind. The first one is that distinguishing character voice by using a lot of accents and by writing heavy accents um, or um, catchphrases like they always say, by golly, or... um, (laughs) You know, one person always says, by golly, and the other one says, gee whiz, and the third one um, giggles at the end of every sentence uh, so that she says it gigglingly. Um, This is really cheap, lazy characterization. You can do maybe one of these in a book. Yeah, because that's a little bit, that's kind of like the beginning writer's way. So I wouldn't say it's mm-hmm. always cheap and lazy. Sometimes it's just you don't know any better and you're trying and you don't understand what it is that you're doing wrong. Right. But yeah, some people that just formulaic write do this a lot and there there is a certain amount of laziness to that. Yeah. Um, there There is a lot of sadism that is, this is part of that too. People mm-hmm. will try to distinguish character voices by saying he growled, um, she snarled, um, he giggled, she uh, whispered. And this, the one character always whispers and the other one always snarls and the third one always growls. And- yeah, or it's, it's like a throaty voice and yeah. Yes, yeah. And that also becomes just grindingly obvious and painful for anybody who is reading anything that's longer than you know 500 words yeah there's a lot of that in the um more formulaic romance oh god there there is and i get it because you're at this point just a pump out factory for Uh these titles and you even as the writer barely distinguish much of your characters because they are just a plug and play character that you're writing until the end of the book so you can start the next one and so on and so on so right there's a lot of that that you can find from the more prolific formulaic romance books that are out there yeah from folks that are having to do this at a book a month or yeah faster Some, <laughs> yeah or, or faster and and yeah usually they tend to be the 50 to eighty thousand word books sometimes 90 that are just 
I I mean, I, I get that they're making a living from this. Yeah. This is how they're paying their bills. But I'm I, deeply sympathetic. Yeah. Yeah. I just I, <laughs> I couldn't imagine Mm-mm. having to do that. So you replace that with said. You do. You know, he said, she said. And you just leave it at that almost exclusively. Um, don't dis- don't use the verb. Don't use the the he growled, she she whispered, he snarled. Yeah, unless unless somebody actually has to be in a room where they're whispering. Yeah. Um. You know that's that's okay. Yeah, because it becomes part of the scene. It becomes part of the action when it's when it's important to yes. convey a, an emotion or a sense of what's going on in the scene. Then it's yeah. You you can put growled or whispered or something and and you can whisper especially if you're doing like a horror thing you got to be careful because you don't want to keep writing he whispered whispered you you just kind of set it up as right they had to whisper so so that you understand that the dialogue is all whispers but it's right it you don't want to make it tedious for your readers right and and now that that pretty much covers what you don't do (laughs) Because that is, those are just very basic beginner mistakes. And again, having killed an editor or two from from having sent them my stuff, I learned this from the, oh God, oh God, please never do that again, you know, on rejection notes. So now let's get into what you do. And this is fun because this allows you to dig into your characters and understand who they are at the same time that you're writing them. The first thing you start with is the vocabulary your character uses. And in general, you have to think about who the character is. In general, a farmhand is not going to use the same vocabulary as a professor. If he does use the same vocabulary as a professor, then there has to be a reason why. Yeah, because that really says a lot about that about that character. It, it yeah. shows you. And you, you don't have to screen the reason to the reader right away it adds a level of mystery to that farmer Mm -hmm. yes or a professor who is who has gutter profanity Mm -hmm. and uh casual slang and who um when he goes through the world does it in a sort of elbows out a kind of shoving people out of the way sort of non um professorial yeah non-professorial is the thing that i'm thinking here that yeah that's that's a very nice way of putting that yeah um yes where where he is obnoxious uh but but obnoxious in a way that suggests that um he didn't start out from a family that raised a lot of professors um and that he might still enjoy the roots that brought him where he is today and perhaps enjoys really irritating the crap out of his fellow professors um, by, you know, embracing his uh, hick beginnings. And, you know, as somebody with hick beginnings, by God, I can say, yeah, that there are times when you, you enjoy using a little, you know, profanity and, uh, you know, the bringing in the trailer park. <laughs> yeah, and when Holly says you got to know your your character's vocabulary. It's not like you have to write down this entire list or keep a dictionary at hand. And and it's just, you have to know how they speak. That's why when she mentions a farmer, yes, a farmer in general, like, again, this is going to be a a topic with a lot of generalizations. Right. 
in general, a farmer won't have the same. It's not like they don't understand the same words. It's more or less that their their regular day-to-day conversational dialogue is not going to have the same sound and the same vocabulary as a professor uh, in, in Harvard teaching, I don't know, economics, mm-hmm. you, you know, because the words that they use on a daily basis are not going to be the same, most likely. I, I it, it is a neat way to put a play on character, put a personal depth to that character and establish that there is more to this person than one note, which is nice. Exactly. Um, Okay, so once you have spent a little bit of time with each of your primary characters and you know what kind of words they're going to use you're going to know what kind of a background they have that they're going to bring into their conversation, you know, not too ham-handedly. Um, I have seen where somebody who is a professor repeatedly is using um, uh, references to Latin or, you know, repeatedly grinding through um, all of the uh, complicated background of professorial whatever the subject is that he teaches as as his metaphors and as his similes he's he's bringing in all of this heavy heavy handed background you can do this lightly it does not have to be in every single place uh that he speaks that he is proving that he's a professor um but once you understand who your characters are and the events that shaped them then you build memories and metaphors out of their past. That is the second thing, is you, you, you understand the events that shaped them. Um, my, I, the stuff that comes to me right now is all personal stuff. Yeah, well, we can look at Harry Potter. Okay, because good. I was thinking that that's a really cool way to look at, at because even just looking at Harry, Hermione, and Ron. right. They all have very different, distinct voices. Right, they do. Yeah. And you look at Harry. He was this kid who was, or uh, well, orphaned, raised by people who didn't like him, uh, shoved under his staircase. Yeah, who didn't know anything about magic either. So he was raised right. by muggles, and as was Hermione, but Hermione was much loved, and mm-hmm. there was money there. And for Harry, he was... Um, pretty much almost homeless living in in that house he was yeah. treated horribly and by everybody yeah 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 but with the with hermione while they were muggle while she was muggle born or mudblood <laughs> um she the, the family embraced the magic so she was very aware of all of the terminology She's also incredibly studious, so mm-hmm. she's she her vocabulary is going to be more expansive than Ron and and Harry and Ron, who is pure blood, yeah. who is magic born, and knew about Hogwarts. All of his family went to Hogwarts. They were prefects and all this other stuff. He knows less than Hermione because he's not studious. He right. has been involved in this entire world. It just took it for granted. And just took it for granted. Yeah, yeah, because that's his life. That's what we all do. We just take our lives for granted, especially as kids. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at three very distinct voices and three very distinct... I mean, it's it's 
very rare on a page in one of the Harry Potter books that you can't distinguish who is talking. Right. Even if you look at the professors, because there are professors. Right. Snape has a very different voice than McGonagall. So, and and Dumbledore has a very clear voice. Yes, he does. And that's, that is a beautiful example, because in, at no point is this heavy-handed. At no point are you getting... Um, the entire vocabulary of that particular character dumped on your head in these long sentences that all use use the words that demonstrate who they are in the background all at once and all of this. It's just tipped into a little at a time, just seeped at you in these light conversational ways. Um, it, yeah, that is and a beautiful example. There's the professor that looks like a frog that ends up being the dean she's not a professor and i forget her name but dear god oh yeah yeah she was she's, horrible yeah it and she had a very distinct voice and yeah. and yes jk rowling made sure to mention that it was very squeaky and it didn't mm -hmm. match her toad like um appearance appearance yes and her, yeah her her stuffy dressing with always wearing the sweaters and the little yes yeah. and the little hats or bows and, yes. and the very girly dress <laughs> and it just it was just an amazing amount of of small details that made that woman utterly repulsive but her vocabulary just the words that she spoke were incredible and how she spoke them were incredibly defining Hagrid because you mentioned accents Hagrid has a a very clear very distinct accent but it is again not heavy-handed it doesn't right. when the reader is reading Hagrid it's not overbearing or annoying. He, right. it, it becomes very charming and part of his charm. And I could just go on and on and on because <laughs> it's incredible the way that J.K. Rowling has this mass of characters and they're all very distinct. Without it being overbearing or heavy-handed. Yeah, and yeah. if you have not read the Harry Potter series, um, it's not your genre. It's not your thing. You you, you don't like reading things that go, have gotten overly popular or whatever it is. Um, I would still suggest, highly suggest that you read them. They're very good. At least they, the first one. Yeah. I mean, the first one isn't even the... I would say at least the first three because you get more distinct mm -hmm. characterization as you go. Oh, and she I was think a, the third one is one of the best. Yeah, she was a much better writer. By the time yeah. she got to the later books, but I yeah. think it's really important to take a look at this. Is this was a beginning writer? Was she was this was like her? Yep. Yeah. This her was first her book. first book, I think. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone yeah. was her first book. She wrote it mostly on a train, I think, and she was writing it for her kid. Yeah. Um, but it's it, even just the first one. It is a very very and, and I'm we're not saying that she's never written before. No. But it because, was yeah right. But this was this was this was her first novel, um, or first published novel, and it has some some beginnerish stuff in it. But I think but it's, it's really inspiring to yeah. look at that and still see how well she did getting voices of characters and feelings of settings and um, and I don't want to you know leap into into that. But no, um, yeah, but it's just in a. An example of voices. You can do the yeah. same with Game of Thrones. It, that's it's kind of like a more adult uh, theme series, even though there's a lot of adult. adult. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of good things, and and adults can read Harry Potter and still enjoy it. It's perfectly right. fine. But if you want more grim, dark, death, 
you know, weird, creepy, just, kinky, yeah, politi- <laughs> political, that sort of thing, then Game of Thrones is another good one because there is a very distinct amount of voices in there as well. Lots of them, and they are all, again, individual. They are all very clearly individual with the individuals well-defined without being oppressively overdefined. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, again, you want to understand who your characters are you want to have a background for them um you want to know the events that defined them um childhood crap uh adult crap yeah and and the things that define you are generally not the really happy stuff you know you can have 51 happy birthdays and one that was just absolutely horrendous and terrible things happened and the really bad one is going to be the one that in some way changes you the really good stuff really very rarely does anything to change your life. And the really yeah. bad stuff very, very frequently does. I mean, really good things can change your life because we've had bad things happen and, and mom, you know, kind of saved us. And, and well, not kind of mom saved us. And that <laughs> is a, a good thing that defined our life. Yeah. But again, it's. That the, was overcoming the, a bad thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so. It's it's important to to keep an eye on characters. If you haven't tried uh, Holly's Create a Character Clinic, that's a really good one. Again, you don't have to go through the entire thing and answer every question. You just pull through some stuff, read each chapter, pull through a few things. Just get an idea of who your character is. And listening to other people in real life, I don't know if that's on your on your list. It isn't, but, but that's a good point. Yeah, you can it, not just learn from reading and seeing what other people write, but learn from good movies versus bad, good TV shows versus bad, because I swear Arrow, <laughs> man, Arrow and it, it's a very good distinct um, version because the first couple of seasons they had these very, very distinct dialogues. And then as it went on, they started to get really all the same kind of like the dialogue if if you were just reading it you wouldn't know who was saying what and if you listen to people in real life it's the same because it's it there's a lot of fascinating speech patterns and dialogue Mm -hmm. and word usage and wrong words i've had friends that you know use the wrong words by accident or say the wrong things every time they say it they mispronounce it those Mm -hmm. are little things that you can add to a character and they're light and and graceful when they're not overdone and yeah, so that that is a beautiful beautiful point of view and listening and and really listening. I mean, well, this is one of those things that I call spies. Um if you are sitting in a coffee shop and you're just kind of kicking back and su- sipping your coffee and pretending to read a book and it just kind of relaxing and listening or to people. Or pretending to play on your phone or whatever. Yeah, yeah, or whatever. And listening to people speak. You can kind of catch the rhythms of dialogue in casual conversation. And you can play with the dialogue you hear and you can figure out, you can pretend, you can make up pasts for these people and you can say, no, okay, now, now imagine they're saying the same things but they're spies and it's a code. And what would the code word be? And you... As you play with these real life events and you start building little bits of fiction around them and keep and you're playing in your head with the dialogue and keeping it the same, you can start playing with the other ways that you show 
the, the distinguishing things between ca- characters, the action, the interesting folding of a napkin into a specific origami form that is then pushed over to the side and that the other character picks up and shoves in a pocket, for example. Some just stuff that you invent in your mind that would make these people spies instead of two utterly boring people having the most boring conversation you have ever listened to in your entire life. Mm-hmm. And and again, if you have a lot of friends that do different things, just pay attention to the way your friends talk. Yeah, you've I've I've got like just a slew of of friends that are you know I've got the EMT medical field nurse friends. I've got biker friends. I've got military friends and military biker friends mm-hmm. and art friends and just the dialogue and then friends who are firefight fire departments it's just this entire slew of people that all are in my life because of our different hobbies or our different interests or tony's different interests all of them have these distinct different voices oh yeah and specialized vocabularies that is such a good point of view okay So you brought up this amazing point about people in specialized communities with specialized vocabularies. Mm -hmm. And these are great ways of characterizing people, but it is incredibly dangerous at the same time because specialized in-group vocabularies are the things you will mess up the instant you think you know what you don't know. Yeah, And um, I was an ACLS certified ER nurse. And um, back in the day, and the day now has been 30 years since I quit, I had the vocabulary. Okay, I did that. I was I was a nurse for 10 years. And that was 40 years ago to 30 years ago. Um, I no longer write nurses. And the reason I no longer write nurses is because I no longer know what I think I know. I yeah. have this vast, the vocabulary changes. It changes in the military. It changes. Um, and, you know, I swiped the crap out of, of Matt's military vocabulary when he got out. Um, because, yeah, because first Well, I was going to say, there's a good example of this in Short, in short Circuit, uh, a movie from the freaking 80s that we just watched when our power, our, our internet went out. Mm-hmm. Um there's there's a funny scene where he's where the one guy's like oh I need a Huey I need Hueys and the guy's like what's a Huey I thought it's a helicopter oh I thought they were called choppers well now they're called Hueys and the guy's like well why wasn't I informed <laughs> and and he was living the life so the 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 lingo changes so quickly yeah. that by the time your book is published it could be it could be slightly different but yes. still valid yeah you and you will you will get a little bit of a grace period. And people who were reading books that they know are older will give you a little bit wider gimme. But um, I, and and honest to God, I swear, the military has the absolute best profanity and the absolute best just crude sayings. And I, I borrowed as many of them as I could, and I still use them in daily life. But they aren't the things that fit in the book anymore because the military vocabulary changes blindingly fast. Yeah. And and again, this is something that it's not only that you could get it wrong, yeah. but if you rely too heavily, let's say you are a nurse, let's say you are somebody in a oh, specialized field where yeah. there is constant lingo, where you have to deal with it on a daily basis. So you're always aware of the updates. Um, even if you're writing this, you can alienate the reader 
if you're using too much of it because the reader will feel left out the reader will feel like they don't understand what's going on or they'll be annoyed because it's it feels like you're you're pushing this this know-it-all kind of of oh secrecy this this trying to to one-up the reader or sound yeah. smart or and it's not that you're doing that but it's that you're not aware of how it's going to come across to people who are not in that specialized field. So there is this really delicate balance there is. that you have to have when it comes to writing somebody in a specialized field. Yeah. And I, I'm working with that with uh, the NoHo and the Yaktaknuk, the the indigenous people of my Fulton Hills area, because there is this lingo that since Fulton Hills was was founded with the knowledge that the Noho were right there and the Yaktaknuk were right there, there is a lot of this that has become a part of Fulton Hills. So a lot of the people use the the words um, as as part of their own language, as part of their own knowledge. But this is there. There has to be a delicate balance, God, because the reader is never going to be fluent in the. In the, the language. language. Yeah, in the language you made up. So, yeah. um, and nobody, and it is so tempting. It is so, so tempting to throw all of that backstory in. Yeah, I almost mentioned the name of the language, the Teluke, but it's like, well, they, they wouldn't know what that is. So there's, right. the, even when you're talking about it, because you know more, it it's very hard not to to live that other language and that other that other specialized field yeah this is this is like garlic um where and you have to understand that your readers are going to be non-garlic eaters you have a thousand cloves of garlic okay and as some <laughs> as somebody who whose father used garlic by cutting it a, a, a little piece in half and rubbing it on the bottom of the pan and that was all there was ever in ours who married a, a, a guy who learned Italian cooking from his Italian background and who thought five cloves of garlic was cool to put in the in the, the spaghetti sauce I gotta who say literally bakes garlic and eats it yeah yeah um you know yummy yummy stuff man now but when you're when mm. this is not your world and you're new, you got to seep it in a little bit at a time. <laughs> I've been with Tony for how many years? It's like 15 years or some crazy shit now. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, he still puts too much garlic on shit. Yeah, <laughs> Matt, like, no. Yeah, Matt's pretty mellow with it, you know. Now, after, you know, that after the five cloves of garlic tomato sauce, um, you know, he'll use a clove and I'm okay with a clove. In an entire batch yeah, of sauce, but yeah, it's 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 like just that idea of, of yeah. building up and yes. and then leveling out. <laughs> yeah, because you again, and you always have to assume that no matter what book you're on, yes. your readers are going to be the non-garlic eaters. Yeah, and that, this is that somebody brand new is going to find your seventeenth book in a series, yeah. and yeah, so you can never be the five clove guy. You can't. I think that's, yeah, I think that's my problem with Ilona Andrews is yep. because first page, five cloves of garlic yep. immediately. Yep, yep. And that is, again, and that's one of the things because I am reading the books from one to ten and I'm going through them one right after the other like damn potato chips. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's okay. You can kind of skim through the info dump at the beginning. 
But you have to assume that she is losing some people because they pick her up on book five. Um, yeah, or even book one, and it's like, well, wow, I really don't know what's going on. This is overwhelming. I'm yeah. just going to skip this for now and read something else. And then yeah. they don't go back. And then you don't go back. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, you get you get a lot of sales of book one that don't continue as sales of book two. Yeah, Seriously. and again, this is obviously not something that Alona Andrews, um, the team, has to worry about. Oh, yeah, this is not, <laughs> but, this is not hurting yeah. her at all because the yeah. stories are so good for the people who read them that – you get over the infodump. You really yes. do. Some people might actually like wandering into to a first page and not knowing what the hell is going on and maybe understanding only five words on it. But, yeah. you know, it's... Yeah, she does, yeah, she does a, or they do a perpetual confusion opener. Yes. Um, which is a thing. It is a way to yeah. open the book. Is you start, you bewilder the reader, and you hope to hell they'll hang on to... to let you answer the questions by the end of the scene that you mm -hmm. rose at the beginning and that you don't lose them on sentence one or sentence 15 when you've used the 15th technological term that they don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, it's but a yeah, risk. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. But it's a risk that ends up paying off for, for that particular writer. But again, it's, it's what are you, what is important to you? Right. What do you prefer as a reader? And that is a way. That is a way to present your characters. That is a way to distinguish between characters is to toss some technological dialogue or something right at the beginning and hope that the fact that the reader doesn't know what it is won't cost you the reader. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So then uh, that, that's the garlic thing right there is just keep it light. Your, your fiction is primarily in your voice. The, you, is, it is almost always you. You, when you are these different people, but mostly you. And it is going to be your voice that the reader comes back for in the end. Not the different accents you give people. Not the technological background and world building and, and things that are all going to matter. But it's going to be the fact that you are sitting inside this person's head across a period of days, months, years, 600 years from now, somebody could pick up your book just the way they pick up Chaucer or just the way they pick up Shakespeare and read your words and hear your voice in their head telling your story because you got it right, because you put enough of yourself in there and what matters to you in what you think about the world in what you love and hate and fear and need and desire that is human and deep and rich and powerful and that still applies to human beings 600 years from now because it's, it's real that they can hear your voice and will still be reading you. And Holly has a really good course that if you guys are interested, it's called 24 Hour Intensive, Find Your Writing Voice. And that is, it's, it's not like it's going to take you one full day or anything mm. like that it's it's 24 hours of actual sitting there and doing work and stuff but it's it's how to find your personal writing voice it's very distinct from what we're talking about here today which is the character voices but if you are somebody who is is lost for the idea of your personal voice other than reading things like, you know, Lawrence Block or, or like Shakespeare had a very distinct voice. Other than reading other authors who have these very distinct voices, you can take a look at the 24-hour intensive Find Your Writing Voice course as well. And part of, and character voice is included in, in the exercises. 
This yes, is, it is. Yeah. It is. So, but the, it's kind of like a side. Yeah, it's not version. exclusively character voices. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's. But I just wanted to to mention that because I know a lot of people have questions on voice. Okay. So is there anything else before the takeaway, Holly? Mm, there is not. Okay. So I'm just going to remind you guys you can follow us on the socials. That's A I A R. WIP on Twitter. That's Alone with Invisible People on Instagram. It's Alone in a Room with Invisible People on Facebook. You can find our website at alonewithinvisiblepeople.com. You can find ways to support us at alonewithinvisiblepeople.com forward slash support us, or you can go to our coffee page. That is ko-fi.com forward slash alone. You can, you know, if you're thinking about buying any of Holly's courses or anything like that, she does ask that you buy through the affiliate links on the website just because that supports her. It supports us. It doesn't cost anything else for the student. You, you know, you, you're still getting everything the same. It just splits the take a little bit differently so that... So I, that Becky gets paid for her work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, so, please help her. <laughs> yeah. And remember, too, I'm not the only one that is an affiliate. Holly does have an affiliate program. So if you've liked any of the courses you've taken, if you have enjoyed something and really want to share it, you can make money on it, too. You can absolutely join the affiliate program and promote Holly's stuff while still getting paid. She really, really appreciates when people share her stuff. So she has absolutely no problem with somebody taking a, a, an affiliate payment. She actually enjoys being able to pay her affiliates the money because it's like you're helping her. You're helping to support her so she's helping to support you yes yes i love that it is it is as much a part of what i want to be able to do for the writers that that help me by buying my classes and by listening to the podcast and and by just recommending us um yeah. as you know for for guys who do just only do the free stuff can still be affiliates and if you sell stuff and i will be delighted to pay you the the affiliate commission because you are helping me and I get to help you too and that's everything that we're about yeah <laughs> it absolutely is. it's helping each other it yes. is it is supporting each other so that's huge so if you're interested in the affiliate program go ahead and take a look it's a it's a, it's on hollywoodwritingclasses.com. It's yeah. it's only open for students. Yeah, it's very clear. You do have to be a member of the website, but it's again, it's a free account. If yeah. you've taken the free courses, if you want to recommend the the even the the flash fiction piece, the how to write flash fiction that doesn't suck, you can still use an affiliate link, and then we know that that person came from you. Yeah. And if they wanted to buy something in the future and they are still listed as under your affiliate, I think that lasts for like a month. Yeah. Then you'll get part of that sale. Holly, what is the takeaway? Okay. The takeaway here takes us right back to garlic, um, which is your character is 90% what that character does, the character actions, the things that you are showing, that the conflicts that they are moving through. Your character is um, about 7.5% what they say, their dialogue, their vocabulary, and how that reveals their character. And they are about 2.5% how they say it. So when you are looking at character voice, you are looking at the tiniest, tiniest tip of the iceberg. This is this is a garlic episode here, guys, and your guys, your readers are not going to be garlic readers. So everything that we have discussed here, apply lightly. 
<laughs> just just go light. <laughs> I like that. I like yeah because just imagine like my my husband full blown Italian layering on the garlic so thick that you cannot see what was underneath it and giving it to me southern girl who even with a stepdad who used garlic on a, a lot of stuff yeah, yeah it wasn't it wasn't the same Be, just just sprinkle that shit lightly yeah matt's half and half yeah <laughs> so, he's, yeah. yeah half half italian half german yep. tony's full-blooded italian and could just eat garlic i think and <laughs> If I complain, it's, it, oh, shut up, it's good for your heart. <laughs> no, shut up and stop putting so much goddamn garlic on everything. But yeah, anyway, yeah, it's, it's a good analogy. I like that. Yeah. Um, if you guys have any questions, you know, hit the forums, come into the to the podcast forum, find this episode thread and put them in there. If you guys have any tips, any, any ideas, remember that if you do write in a very specialized field, sending this kind of stuff out to bug hunters who don't can oh, really God, let you yeah. know a lot about you know okay well this is really confusing this sounds like you're talking down to the writer or reader etc etc yes and you can just go in and say hey i'm a nurse i'm an emt um i'm i'm active duty in the military right now you need some good slam slang you need a girly couple of really good curse words um but i can help you out and yeah those of us who like to add that stuff into our books will love you yeah (laughs) again it's just another version of a spy So, yeah. Um, Okay, so that's it for our episode today. I'm just going to say we love you guys, and we will see you next week. Holly? Yes. um, Just have fun, and thank you for listening. We do. We love you guys.